really wisened up to the goings-on of governments and agendas and global agendas by now. And they're wisened up too. A lot of them have gone through the, the death and rebirth phase, uh, phases you get when you realize that you've been living a lie, uh, when you realize there's no such thing as democracy, and you have that sort of death uh, with all of its uh, appropriate actions, you know, anger, depression, and so on, until you come out of it with resolve. Same thing happens when you realize that, that everything you've been brainwashed with is a lie. And that's what we talk about on this show, the real world, how it really is outside conditioned uh, responses that we all have. Back with more after this break. through the matrix you know people really underestimate the power of the foundations that started up an awful long time ago across the western world and especially the giants in America uh, it's no coincidence that uh, the giants um, were started off by bankers big bankers and international corporation at least the owners of the big corporations, like the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Morgans, the Fords, and so on, uh, because they had they had no intention of allowing a form of democracy to not only exist but even continue with that which they already have in this form of uh, a republic they had in the United States. Same in Britain, because they were allied to the Anglo-American establishment; they were part of it. Just the same as the groups in, in London, England, the Milner Group, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs with the Round Table Society, Incorporated, had no intention of allowing democracy to rerun the rest of the world or, or history for, from then on for Britain. So their plan was, of course, to make these, these big foundations circumvent democracy by creating uh, political groups, uh, action groups, funding them. Uh, under the guise of non-governmental organizations. These non-governmental uh, organizations would have all the financial power they need and contacts given to them for lobbying direct to the governments. And that was called the parallel government technique, parallel government. This is what Professor Carl Quigley talked about in his book, Tragedy and Hope, and he goes into it in more detail in his other book, The Anglo-American Establishment. If you have to get a couple of books, get those two because there's so much data in it. It fills the blanks in history. It fills in all the blanks. So just dates and times and battles, but it tells you who finances them, why they finance them, why they caused these wars, and what they hoped to gain from wars. And what they were hoped to gain was literally a world empire, just taking down country after country at a time, the standardization of the world by any and all means possible, including using communism or Sovietism to standardize a big chunk of Europe and, and uh, into the, the Russian bloc. That was all done successfully by these groups and bankers. And all of the top bankers, too, were involved far more openly than they are today, although they're still out there, Rockefellers up on YouTube, still prancing around the world, uh, saying there's too many people and they've got to find ways to sterilize them, etc., etc. So each foundation has its main 
um, topics that they have to keep bringing up into the public arena. They call it um, uh, advocated through advocation groups, etc. Raising public awareness is what they term it. It means they want to brainwash you along a certain way of thinking. Whenever you hear that term, you know you're going to get brainwashed. They're into eugenics big time, and they need to, to, to sterilize populations. Remember about Rockefeller's uh, families, too. They also ran the American Eugenics Society. They funded it from the beginning, and they even put a magazine out with the, the, the best family types, you know, the, the, the proper family types that should be allowed to breed, uh, as opposed to the bad types that should not be allowed to breed. And they got policies put through in the United States long before Hitler, and so they were already sterilizing different kinds of people within the U.S. itself. And on way up into the 1970s, by the way. Now they don't do that. They simply tell you that your, your child in the womb might have a problem. It's best to have it aborted. That's how they do it today. And you have to look into the people that these people who are in politics, just like the their cousins in the Royal Institute for International Affairs are often in politics and or they've been in politics and then they're in back in the tops of the CEOs, etc., and guiding their foundations and all the NGOs. Well, Rockefeller here, as I say, is a big, such an incredible player. When you see all the information that's been put out by the Rockefeller family on their agenda, it's, you could spend the rest of your life just, just following it. Astonishing. The power. The power. See, money is power. And that's the sad thing about money. Whoever's got the most has got the power. Simple as that. Simple. They, they buy off everybody. Buy off everybody. And here's an article that will tie in with the next article about Rockefeller. But this article is from March the 3rd, 2009, from CQ Politics. So it signs nominees blocked by multiple holes in the U.S., by Adrian Croach, CQ staff. It says, multiple senator, senators anonymously blocked the nominations of two top science advisors intended to play a major role in Obama's administration's climate change policy, delaying their confirmation. John P. Holdren, nominated to lead the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, and Jane Lubchenco, picked for Undersecretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmosphere, had been expected to receive a quick floor vote. They received an amicable confirmation hearing February the 12th and plaudits from the science community otherwise. But Holdren, a Harvard University physicist, and Lubchenco, an Oregon State University marine biologist, may have to undergo an extra round of review, Senate style. Multiple senators have placed anonymous holds, anonymous holds on the science advisors' nominations, according to John D. Rockefeller IV. He's a Democrat from West Virginia. He's, chairman, he's also chairman of the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, which has jurisdiction over the nominations. You see how they're all placed where they want to be? You see? So here's the rest of them uh, uh, voting it down here, because they, they know about what, what uh, these characters, uh, Holdrenics and, and Lubchenco, are all about. They're messiahs, really. The messiahs uh, to hype up the global warming thing. It's just a front for the eugenics policy that's Mr. Rockefeller's favorite, his whole family's favorite topic, you see. So here's John D. Rockefeller, who's chairman in the Senate Commit Commerce Science and Transportation Committee, which has jurisdiction over the nominations. 
Here's what, he, what Rockefeller says. It's infuriating, said Rockefeller, who backs Holdren and Lubchenko's hiring. They're brilliant scientists. Well, he should know because he's backed them for about 30, 40 years. He's, he's backed these characters and probably even had them groomed through the financing and so on into the right agenda. Now, remember, Holdren uh, co-wrote a book uh, backed with Paul Ehrlich, another messiah of this, this whole agenda, you know, sterilizing the public and so on, back in the 1970s, the eco-science. And so, and so here's a, a Rockefeller's a chosen pair, you see, his chosen people here. And the rest weren't going along with it at that time. Well, we know since then that um, they've got them in. He's got, he's got his way, as he always does, get his money talks, doesn't he? And here's another article here that follows into this, now that, of course, they've got these messiahs in there. It says here, cnsnnews.com. Rockefeller refers to Obama, the science star, as Walking on Water. So that's the title of it. That says um, Wednesday the 19th, 2009. In a recent congressional hearing, Senate Commerce Chairman John D. Rockefeller, the fourth Democrat against West Virginia, told John P. Holdren, President Barack Obama's science star, that he sometimes refers to Holdren as walking on water. They love their little jokes, don't they? They, they love... You see, this guy... As, uh, it, he is. He's the new Jesus of global warming. But that's what they all know, the in-house joke in, in the Senate and in the, the Congress. That's why he was put there. They're all put there for a reason at the right time, you see. And remember, Holdren literally said in that book that he co-wrote with, with Paul Ehrlich, uh, they could sterilize the folk in, in say, India and Africa who are a bit ignorant, basically inferred, and they wouldn't know any better. It'd be harder to do it in the West. We'd have to find other ways, maybe putting something in their water, their food, etc., uh, maybe even inoculations that would sterilize them. And this is a guy who's now in charge of this science team advising Obama. So we know what's, the writing's on the wall, isn't it? So he says he's walking on water. Holdren is the director of the White House Office of Science, Technology, Policy, and top advisor to the president of climate change policy. Climate change policy. Amazing, eh? In writings published in past years, Holdren has advocated de-development of the United States, de-development, and redistribution of wealth both within and between nations. You see, that was a plank of the Communist Manifesto, if anyone's wondering what's going on. In a 1973 book, Holdren said... The fetus, given the opportunity to develop properly before birth and given the essential early socializing experiences and sufficient nourishing food during the crucial early years after birth, will ultimately develop into a human being. They don't look at them as human beings, you see. At a July 30 hearing of the Senate Commerce Committee focusing on climate change, Senator Rockefeller complimented Holdren using terms that alluded to one of the miracles recounted in the Gospels. The president, I think, has surrounded himself with some of the most brilliant choices. They're brilliant because Rockefeller chose them, you see, for Obama. Said Rockefeller at the hearing, Dr. Holdren, I don't want to embarrass you, but I sometimes refer to you as walking on water. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? So, I'll put these links up on my website at the end of the show and you can read all the rest of these particular articles I can't be bothered going into it 
because the rest is just propaganda as most of it always is isn't it it's propaganda for the for the cattle down below and you see scam after scam happens remember the I've read a whole articles from a site before where they tell you different quotes from the Holdrens and all the different characters in Greenpeace and so on how they try to terrify the public they're giving them scary scenarios etc to get them to accept the policies that they want to, to have us all live under the new way of living and this is from a website called What's Up With That he really follows all this global warming scam and so on because ice capads, Greenpeace recants polar ice claim, but emotionalizing the crisis is okay. That's the title. And I'll be back with this topic after these messages. Global warming pronouncements. 
Although he admitted Greenpeace had released inaccurate but alarming information, Leopold defended the organization's practice of emotionalizing issues. See, that's what I've told you before, emotive topic, they get into an emotional state, but they don't give you the facts or the truth. So he used the practice of emotionalizing issues in order to bring the public around to its way of thinking. So there's your whole point there, his propaganda. They're raising public consciousness by getting you around to what they want you to, to think about and believe. And once, once you believe what they want you to believe, then it's been successful. You see, that's what they mean by that. And it also says, and they want to alter public opinion. So these emotions to do all this stuff. That's why they, they always show you uh, a polar bear sw- swimming in the, in the sea and getting onto an ice floe. Uh, but they don't tell you that, that the bears can actually swim hundreds of miles in that water. Leopold said later in the BBC interview that there is an urgent need for the suppression of economic growth in the United States. Now, doesn't that tie right in with what I just talked about there with uh, Mr. Rockefeller's appointees there, John Holdren, who also wants to do the same thing in the United States? Suppression of economic growth. He's trying to get the picture how they all work together because they're all separate parts of the same darn thing. So it's supposed to suppress economic growth in the United States and around the world. Around the world, too. Was to be, this is to become the global plantation. He said annual growth rates of 3% to 8% cannot continue without serious consequences for the climate. Good Lord. Good Lord, you see. We will definitely have to move a different, uh, to a different concept of growth. The lifestyle of the rich in the world is not a sustainable model except for our bosses. I, I slipped that in. <laughs> Leopold said. If you take the lifestyle it costs on the environment and you multiply it with billions of people and an increasing world population, you come up with numbers which are truly scary. And I, I really put a challenge out there for all these top people, all these top people, to, to be uh, an example to us all and go forth and have it publicly shown on video, they can put up on Google, of them having vasectomies and being sterilized and maybe euthanizing each other as excess population. That's what I want to see. And living in, in a third world type of, of uh, scenario, like forever, voluntary. Or should, does it really mean that we're all supposed to come down to that, all be sterilized, live as a third world uh, nation, or international nation, basically, in third world type scenarios, while the, the elite, the truly, the better types, like themselves, continue living very rich and, and, and high on the hog. Hmm. But anyway, he says, watch the full BBC interview with Leopold here, and there's a link on this site. I'll put this, I'll put this again, this article up on my website. There's a link on the site. It'll take you to the whole BBC interview for you to watch for yourself to see how these um, elitist types, the, the ones who are better designed to, to survive in the world, well, we should all just sort of melt away. And that's what it is. These are eugenicists. These are Nazis. These are, these are the Soviet elitists, too, that want to create the Soviet man. It's the same, same organization. Look at the Rockefellers. Look what they funded, the massive companies like IG Farber. The war machines for these organizations have never changed their tunes. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
I and Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. We've all seen numerous articles on the pushing and promoting by politicians across Europe and America and Canada uh, to do with the modified, the GM food, the crops especially. And the U.S. has gone ahead gung-ho with all of this. So has Canada. In fact, they say, keep telling people Canada was a guinea pig. We didn't know for 10 years that we were the guinea pigs to test this stuff out because the government admitted after it was exposed from Britain that um, they made a secret deal with Monsanto and other companies to test this stuff out on the populations in Canada. But not before, mind you, not before that, uh, I think it was Ms. Stewart at the time, and politics uh, arranged for a central to computer to be set up in Canada, in Ottawa, at the Parliament, where bureaucrats could get all the data of all Canadians across the country, at the, all kinds of data, uh, including uh, doctor's visits and diagnosis and so on. Of course, they never told the public it was to do with GM food. We didn't know anything about GM food at that time. But that was part of it. They keep track uh, instantaneously now on the effects it has on people. But they don't tell the public. That's democracy in action. And if there's ever if really been a time of fascism, we're living in it now. As I say, this new system is to be uh, a, a sort of communistic, collectivist system for the public, the masses, the great masses, and is to have a, fas- a fascistic uh, small elite over the top, the very rich men of the world. That's exactly what we have. That's how it's run. And this article here is from the Associated Press, uh, August the 20th, 2009. It's also in KFSM News. It says, Nearly 1,500 rice farmers are suing the German conglomerate Bayer Crop Science. Bayer, remember, is a Rothschild company. That's a real family name. And affiliated companies over a genetically engineered strain of rice. The lawsuit filed Tuesday in federal court in Little Rock, Arkansas, claims that farmers' crops were corrupted by the rice that was produced by Bayer. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced in August 2006 that traces of an unapproved genetically engineered rice had been found in the U.S. supplies of long grain rice. The lawsuit said Bayer and Riceland Foods Incorporated confirmed the traces in early 2006 but didn't tell the farmers. But that's, again, the way it works in reality. It didn't tell the government either or the public until July or August. A dollar amount being sought in damages is not given in the complaint. And a spokesman for Bayer said he'd not seen the lawsuit and couldn't comment, of course. So, as I say, this, this has many different... Uh, there's a lot of these articles appearing, and I just read, too, that a lot of U.S. Uh, shipments abroad had been stopped at their countries because um, the, the grain that they were selling uh, across, across to Europe or selling across Europe were stopped because they were containing GM crises and so on. And what this will do is cause major confusion and more hype in the media and politics because the intent is to raise it to a crisis pitch so that we'll say, well, we, we just can't go on like this. It's impossible to keep the stuff out of the regular grains. And if we hold this lot back, well, people will starve and let's pass laws so that they accept GM anyway. That's the way they're working it. That's the way they're working it. That's why you're having all of these articles out at the same time. And that they'll get their way. They always get their way at the top. As I say, they have no real opposition at the top at all on anything. 
you know, they really, really don't. There's, there's just nothing against this agenda, especially when you have uh, a well-trained, completely indoctrinated general public in every country in the world who believes nothing but what the television tells them, exactly as Brzezinski said they would, this happened. Unfortunately, it, it really has happened. And I've talked before about all the different uh, paths, there's so many different areas of this New World Order, how if you go into the communist writings, um, the early ones, and you go into the writings of the, the Scottish writer Freemasonry, Albert Pike, and remember Pike's uh, also authorized the, the world's uh, revolutionary party, which became the Communist Party through Mazzini, and the guy that took over eventually uh, after, the, after the next one was, as we all know, it was Lenin. Uh, Pike also chartered other branches, but they're all revolutionary branches. And in fact, many of the older newspapers I have here are their own magazines here. The one's called The New Age. That was a, the, the title in the 40s and 50s of their major magazine. Uh, they, they admitted they were behind probably, probably well, all revolutions across the world. And we think revolutions are just bloody things. Most revolutions are slow, incremental, Fabian style, uh, and bloodless. Uh, it's all a way to change your, your entire culture and way of living, uh, as, of course, is this global warming scam, too. That's all going to make us all live differently, eat differently, and allow governments to mandate everything from cradle to grave. There'd be no personal choices in this world they're bringing up. But the family unit had to be destroyed. They all harped on about that, how they'd have to destroy the family unit. And um, Russell, Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who was a multi-generational peer of the realm of Britain, uh, a chinless wonder, uh, micrognathia is common with them, they have no chins, you know, with interbreeding. But um, he wrote so much for the, the big foundation boys for, to get their agenda through. And he talked about the, the need to, to, for the state, exactly as the Soviets thought about it initially. See, their idea was that the state would remove children at birth from their parents, and uh, you'd never know where that child went, but the state would read them collectively, and they would have a state indoctrination so that they could never pick up contaminated ideas from their families, and they'd never know who their families were. But then he found through experimental schooling, and he was given uh, a royal charter to allow him to do things that everybody else would have been hung for in, in Britain at that time. Um, and he had experimental schools, and he tried to encourage the children into pre-pubertal sex to see if he could, uh, um, if they would stop bonding for longer periods of time with other other people of, of the other sex. So that's why that's where all that experimentation experimentation came from. It was mainly from the the, the Bertrand Russell schools. The only country that put that into direct policy and tried it out was Israel uh, in the early days of the kibbutzes. They did take the children out of the way. Uh, the, the children were raised commonly in, by, uh, together in a crash sort of idea. And that didn't work out for too long because the mothers wanted to raise the children themselves. There's a great book that's called Children of the Dream, written by an Israeli at the time who was all for that whole idea. Uh, because the, the, the group who moved in to create Israel um, and took over were mainly from Russia, 
and uh, they were more communistic. That's why they left Russia. Uh, they, they, they said that Russia was not Soviet Russia was not Marxist enough and gone the whole way. But Russell eventually said, due to his experiments in the schools, he found that um, if they can get the children as young as two for kindergarten, they could so indoctrinate them with scientific indoctrination that whatever their parents tried to teach them at home about morals, old-fashioned ideas, religion, and so on, would be null and void. It wouldn't take with the child. The the teaching would override it. And therefore, he said, it's much better this way. It's more economical for the parents to to be liable for the cost of raising the child than the state. That would save the state the burden of it. And they could use their money for other great projects, etc. So, it's fascinating to see all of this happening in our lifetime, uh, the collectivistic idea, um, commutarianism being promoted by a president of the United States openly, and calling it that too, and um, Al Gore going into to, to schools and talking to 11 and 12 year olds saying, you know more than your parents, uh, you, in other words, your parents are rather stupid, don't listen to them, etc., etc., and, and many of these other characters doing the same kind of stuff, and I've mentioned before the link, we can actually see them doing it in a school, it's up on Google. Uh, so what, parent, what chance do we have, really? What chance do we have today where they're going after homeschoolers? Hillary, remember now, Hillary a few years ago said the same thing. If she got in, uh, she, her main target would be to end homeschooling. But no, no exemptions. No exemptions at all. Just like they're taking away all exemptions right now for inoculations. Philosophical, religious, whatever, they're scrapping them. And people do nothing. Nothing. You know what you want to do? When you want to stop something, you do it before it's made law. You don't sit and wait and wait and wait till your back is against the wall. This article here is from the Telegraph, uh, Thursday the 20th, 2009. And what's happening in the UK and New Zealand and all over the world is happening in the US and Canada at the same time as well because everything you notice is standardized same organizations, same social workers same everything, blah 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 we are a global society run by the United Nations it says evil destruction of a happy family a system involving social workers, police and courts took a child away from loving parents for no apparent reason writes Christopher Brooker two weeks ago I reported a shocking story uh, as this column has ever uncovered it discovered how a loving family was torn apart when the parents were arrested by police on what turned out to be wholly spurious charges, so in order that the three children could be taken into care by social workers. So the, now you have social workers and the, and, the, and the police scheming to dream up spurious charges so that when the parents are arrested, they can whisk away the children into social care. Says, however, a new case has lately been surfacing, if anything, even more shocking. It involved the arrest of two parents and the abduction of their child by social workers in a story so bizarre that last week's Prime Minister's questions period in, in, in Parliament, Gordon Brown was asked about it by the family's Member of Parliament, Charles Henry, who's long been concerned with the case because the mother is a branch vice chairman in his local conservative association. The family's horrified GP doctor says that in 43 years of medical practice, he's never encountered a case of such appalling injustice. He said, I first planned to describe the case in April, but was preempted by the draconian 
reporting restrictions on family cases, which for cases, for reasons that will become tragically clear, have now been partly lifted. Again in 2007, when Mr. Smith, as I must call him, had a visit from the RSPCA over the dog breeding business he ran from the family home, he adopted tales of five newborn puppies, a procedure that had become illegal two days beforehand. Unaware of this, he promised in the future to obey the new law. Three days later, however, at 9 o'clock in the morning, two RSPCA officials returned, accompanied in cars and riot vans <laughs> by 18 policemen, who had apparently been tipped off quite wrongly that Mr. Smith had guns in his house. Well, see, this is rigged up by the social workers, you see. Armed with pepper spray, they ransacked the house looking for the non-existent guns. The dogs, the dogs released from their kennels also rampaged through the house. When Mr. Smith and his wife, who was three months pregnant, volubly protested at what was happening, they were forcibly arrested in front of their screaming five-year-old daughter Jenny and taken away. Two hours later, with the house in a shambles, the dogs having strewn the rabbit entrails meant for their dinner across the floor, social workers arrived to remove the child crying. Held for hours in a police cell, Mrs. Smith had a miscarriage. When she was finally set free, she returned home that evening to find her daughter gone. It was the beginning of a barely comprehensible nightmare. Her husband was charged with various offences connected with the dogs, including the tail docking, but was eventually given a conditional discharge by a judge who accepted he was an animal lover but not being cruel to his dogs. Far more serious, however, was that the social workers seemed determined to hang on to the child, now in foster care, on the sole grounds that they had found the house dirty and in a mess. You see, the animal entrails played a large part in their evidence, so they went in after a police raid and everything was all over the place. This was despite the testimony of a woman police constable who had visited the house a month earlier on a different matter and that she found it clean and tidy. 200 horrified local residents who knew the couple as doting parents of a happy, well-cared-for child were about to stage a protest demonstration when they were stopped by the police on a social worker's instructions that this might identify the child. Do you know these the social worker agencies are, are services? All these characters start off as sort of the police for services. For more than two years, the couple had been fighting through 74 hearings in the courts to win their daughter back. From a mass of evidence, including psychiatric reports and tape recordings made at meetings with her parents, only allowed in the presence of social workers, it's clear she has been desperate to return home. The family believe that considerable pressure has been brought on the child to turn her against their parents. Well, that's what they always try and do. One particularly bizarre psychiatric report was compiled after only an hour-long interview with the little girl, when she said she'd once choked on a lollipop, this was interpreted as signifying that she could possibly have been forced to have oral sex with her father. Oh, you see, these guys are, these psychiatrists are real sickos. I mean, they really, really are. They really are sickos. After the parents had been subjected to four different psychiatric investigations, which came up with mixed findings, they refused to submit to a fifth, and this apparently weighed heavily with the judge, who last December ordered that Jenny should put out, be put out to adoption. In the appeal court 11 days later, Mr. Justice Bodie ruled that because the father had refused the fifth test, including that the parents put their own emotional well-being in front of their child, the adoption order must stand. When this judgment was reported, an independent social worker who had earlier been an expert witness in the case wrote to Mr. and Mrs. Smith to say he was horrified to learn that Jenny was not back in their care, having assumed that for over a year she must have been returned home. The equally qualified general practitioner said he'd never encountered such a case of appalling injustice. He wrote, the destruction of this once happy family is, in my opinion, evil. 
So shocked was the Member of Parliament, Mr Henry, that last Wednesday took the highly unusual course of raising the case of Prime Minister's questions. Numerous others who know the family well have expressed similar dismay. One neighbour himself, a former social worker, whose own daughter often played with Jenny, said, I worked with children and social workers for 25 years in the services and I've never seen anything like this before. It's disgusting. And you know something? I think it's time that the, the civilians um, got themselves into training. And, and I really mean this. And, and start finding, start off little commando outfits. They start raiding these people, these organizations, to get children and back and stuff like that, you see. Because it looks to me there's a, a real big agenda underway. And I don't have to guess at this. There is a massive agenda underway. And, you see, all organizations end up wanting more and more and more power. If there's anything in history you learn, that's what you learn. And they will never stop. And they go into craziness eventually. And they still never stop until the people stop it. And it's time that all of these organizations were done away with, completely, utterly done away with. Because the premise is that they can't allow any child to be hurt. Well, I'll tell you something. You cannot put restrictive totalitarian laws across everyone and all of their children worldwide because a few will definitely, and they definitely will be, be abused. That's not, not how law and justice works. You don't punish the lot for the sake of the few. That's collectivistic behavior. That's what they did in the Soviet Union. And I don't want that in this world. Back in a moment after these messages. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and we'll go to the callers now. There's Robbie from Missouri. Are you there, Robbie? Yes, sir. Yes, go ahead. Alan, uh, I'm calling to remind your listeners that next Wednesday is the Alan Watt International Economic Stimulus Day. That was established a couple nights ago, I believe. That's right. Uh, Joe mentioned, uh, he said he'd... Uh, I, I'm looking at 826. I, I don't know how he picked that, but uh, that is, uh, uh, let's say, all listeners, a little something in August. I go. I, I, that's a reminder. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'd like to tell a little story. Yep. I don't remember how I found you on the internet, but. I listened to you for quite some time and started downloading things. Mm-hmm. After so long a period of time, I realized that you can't really do the journey without the books yep. and the CDs. Now, I just got your uh, miracle book, the last one that you wrote. Uh, you wrote me a little note in there, and Alan, that's the greatest. Uh, I, uh, that that is a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to listen and read at the same time. That's the way I'm built. Yeah, and uh, it's sweet. The Sweet Liberty series, I, I think, is mandatory to mm-hmm. serious listeners. Um, 
I can say that when I first started listening to you, 99% of your site was free. Yeah. Now it's 99.999%. percent hmm And people should get them books, and they should get them now while they're available. You were just saying, we got to get moving. We got to. And mm-hmm. I don't see, uh, you know, maybe there's self-add-ups or something, but... Uh, you need the books. There's some CDs. There's a reality check, and you know everybody knows what I mean. Yes. So next Wednesday is economic stimulus, and I say buy the books. And I've talked to you before. I've read them many times. Yeah. yeah. And um, I. When you said deprogramming, which is what you get, mm-hmm. I'm a programmer, and I, I said, well, this is reprogramming. Mm-hmm. And now I finally realize that you you cannot reprogram us. Yep. You can deprogram us. That's right. And I'm on a journey now, and every night when I listen to you now, sometimes it's re- repetitious, mm-hmm. but it's like virus alerts. That's right. They, they code the writing, everything that you point out, it just seems, so I, I feel uh, you need the books, listeners, you need the books, get them while they're hot. Um, you just said a few minutes earlier, uh, time's a-wasting. Yeah, oh, it is. It truly is. Truly time's a-wasting. Yep. Uh, thank you so much, Alan. Thanks, Robbie. Okay. You take care. Yes, sir. And that's true enough. Uh, you, you don't believe how many tricks are played on the public. They don't know. They really don't know how uh, psychology and science is played on them every single day, from every article they read to the pictures on the articles and so on. They don't think about things, but they're programmed through visual symbolism and all the rest of it. And if you understand that, it gives you a fighting chance, and it really does wake you up into a higher level. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your God's go with you.